Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Listen In Podcast. We are up to episode 97. We're flying. We're getting really close to 100. Really, really close. It's going to hit this month. It is. It's going to hit during our Best Songs of 2017 episode, but we're not quite there yet, Jake. We have an interesting episode planned out today. We're not doing a standard new music discussion like we normally do. The year is starting to wind down. There's not a lot of new releases coming out to talk about. So we have a little bit of news about our girl T-Swift to talk about. And then we're going to get into a conversation about streaming and what we lose out on by streaming music constantly and kind of how things have changed even since we were kids. That's right. And then we have a couple more fun segments after that. But before that... um, not every week in all of history, Sean, was a week in which there were no new albums released. In fact, true. this is episode 97, so we're talking about 1997. There were some big ones released in that year, and actually the one really big one is OK Computer by Radiohead. Oh, yep. That's the first one. Urban Hymns by The Verve. I stand by The Verve, and especially Urban Hymns. I really like that album. I have not listened to it. That is always looked at as one of the Britpop bloated kind of over the top too much and it's it's a little long it could be shortened there's mm-hmm. some great tracks on there Bjork dropped homogenic Wu-Tang Clan put out Wu-Tang Forever The Boatman's Call by Nick Cave recently listened to that as well was it good it's pretty good it's yeah. good yeah a couple more Be Here Now by Oasis talking about bloat I've never listened to that but <laughs> I, I've, I've also listened to that album uh, it is not good. <laughs> Yola Tango put out an album. Foo Fighters put out The Color and Shape. Spiritualized put out a record. And Notorious B.I.G. put out Life After Death. Can I ask you? Sure. Uh, this might be like an early trust tree, an unplanned trust tree. Well, we got a couple more. Go ahead. What What are your thoughts on Foo Fighters? Because um, I don't give a shit about them. No. I'm going to be honest. That's a trust tree. I don't care about Foo Fighters. I think that there's plenty of cachet in saying you don't like the Foo Fighters. I don't think okay. you have to necessarily okay. shade yourself too much. Because I feel like they're looked at as the shining beacon of rock music now, where it's like, oh, uh, oh, popular rock band, Foo Fighters, plug them in. And it's like, ah, are they even that good? They're pretty boring. And it's like, I think they have a handful, they have like, like 10 good songs I'll still go up for. I still like a lot of those songs. Like, I'll, I'll you know, be excited for Monkey Wrench or Everlong or, uh, you know, there's a bunch of songs by them that I like. Yeah. Um, but no, I'm not excited okay. about a new Foo Fighters album. Okay. I don't okay. like, give a shit. Okay. I like Dave Grohl generally as a person. Yeah, I think he's like interesting. He seems like he is pretty plugged into a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like he knows the Tacious D guys. He seems like he's a natural entertainer. He's yeah. in Nirvana. So like all that stuff. Right. I just but, don't. I don't care. No, I don't care that much yeah. either. Here's a few more. Built to Spill put out Perfect from now on. Modest Mouse put out the Lonesome Crowded West. Oh yes. And Godspeed You Black Emperor dropped. F sharp, A sharp, Infinity. Have you listened to that one? I've not. Okay. Have, have you? No. No, I've never listened to a Godspeed you album. That's right. No, I have not. I've listened to two Godspeed albums. Okay. Um, what happened in history in 1997? So, we've talked a lot about how the 90s were a boring year. Or decade? Boring decade. Yeah. That kind of continues with 1997. Here's the big news items according to Wikipedia's 1990s timeline. First one, Bill Clinton is inaugurated to his second term. That's one of two big news items. Well, yeah, for an era, again, like we, we've come back to the well on this, but it's an era of like economic prosperity and domestic peace. Yep, as close as we've got to 
world peace, maybe, in the 90s? Hey, oh, except for, like, there's been stuff. No, there's been stuff. You know what's my favorite thing about that, Sean? What? Is that we were alive, but too young to remember it or appreciate it. Oh, good. What good. else happened that year? Uh, here's when you know it's a boring year. Uh, the Dow, Do- Dow Jones Industrial Average follows world markets and plummets 7% from 7,000... Wait, oh, plummet 7% or 554 points. Now, that is a big drop to have happen yeah. in the Dow Jones. But if that's your second of two major news items in 1997, like, yep. what? Yeah, we, we, we like, tripled that up this year. You remember how, like, you know how, like, they'll say, like, a team doubled up another team? Right. Like, the Rams this week tripled up the Giants. Right. 51-17. <laughs> Like, 2017 yeah. has I probably quadrupled up. In terms of notable news items. 1997, yeah. in yeah. terms of just, like, existential crisis for the yeah. world and our country. Yep, it's true. <laughs> it's very true. Speaking of existential crisis for <laughs> the world and our country, yeah. what's this Taylor Swift news I'm hearing about? Okay. And, and by that I mean that I have not read anything about and that you're going to have to fill me in on right now. Jake, we are about to embark on an unprecedented think piece run of the next week or two this new taylor swift album is going to be the album that launched a thousand think pieces okay it's going to be overwhelming the taylor backlash is coming and it's coming down fast here is why taylor swift first of all she she sucks she is so annoying and the reason for that this blogger she wrote something about how taylor swift's music has these dog whistles of supporting white supremacy hmm. scattered throughout the lyrics. A little far-fetched of like... Was this like she's doing a little too much digging? Yeah, a little too woke on this. Maybe a little too high on a Saturday night and like yes. digging through all the details. It is like, oh, this lyric here and this lyric here yep, yep, is yep. sort of supporting white supremacy and neo-Nazis. I'm following you. But I guess lots of white supremacists and neo-Nazis think that Taylor Swift is actually in favor of them. Like, that's what's hot in the streets on, like, neo-Nazi chat boards and of stuff, I guess. Of course they do, because they'll use just anything that's even close to that. Exactly. And, and use that as fuel. Okay. So, this blogger says, because Taylor Swift has not come out and explicitly said, I do not endorse white supremacy and neo-Nazis, she basically is for them. She may as well support them. So... There are flaws to that logic. There are... But is it that hard to... Come out and just be like, yeah, I don't fuck with neo-Nazis. No, <laughs> you it, know? in like, fact, it's like I would say that that's a, uh, one of the easier ways. It, it is. From a public relations standpoint. So Taylor Swift's lawyer sends a cease and desist to this blogger and says, if you don't take this post down, we're going to sue you. And basically there's been a lot of backlash against Taylor Swift and her lawyer and this whole situation where they're like, yeah, maybe that particular story in that blog might not even be true, but it's a free speech thing. The ACLU actually said, uh-uh-uh, Taylor Swift's lawyer, you can't do that because yeah. this is just free speech. This is literally free speech. You have no right to tell her to take this down, right. no matter how much you disagree with it. Our boy father, John Misty, gets in on the fun, and he posted on Facebook this basically like press release statement saying he renounces music bloggers. Uh, really just substitute music bloggers for neo-Nazis, and it's yeah. basically what Taylor Swift like could have just easily said. Should have done, you know? yeah. Uh, so he got in on the fun, deleted that post, though, but, you know, kind of a, a winking nod to this whole situation. I love that, too. He's not a Taylor Swift fan, either. 
No, it doesn't seem like it. No. So, okay, my real-time reaction yeah. to this news. Um, it does seem like Taylor Swift sucks a little bit. And, like, I... I have, my relationship with Taylor Swift is like a casual, general fan of like a lot of her hits. That's pretty much it. I listened to 1989 once. I like a lot of her songs. I think Ready For It's catchy. I think Look What Maybe You Made Me Do is like not as offensive as some people thought. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's okay. I always like her songs. As a person, I just feel like she's slippery, man. I feel like I can't get yes. a grasp on like what she's about. She is. Or what she's really backing. And this, is, this doesn't help. It doesn't. This isn't a good look. And I'm with you on this. And in, in, in the whole other side of this and why I think there's going to be a backlash coming and why just get ready for it, like the amount of blogs and, and pieces that are going to be written, she seems to be more of a product than a human at this yes. point. Oh, like yeah. She has all these corporate sponsorships and deals that are tied in with this album. It's like what Obi-Wan said in Star Wars about Darth Vader, about how he's more machine than man at this point. Taylor is more product than human at this point, and she's so concerned with her brand and not upsetting anybody and just you know doing everything that's best for her bottom line. It makes her really, really unlikable and unrelatable. You know who she reminds me of more than Vader is uh, LeBron James. LeBron's even more of a LeBron's more of a human than her for sure. I know but, he but, he does these passive aggressive tweets and will post these memes. She just does that as her music. Exactly. That's just what yeah. her songs are. Every one is a <laughs> passive aggressive fucking swipe at some dude who she thinks wronged her. Yeah. But but the comparison to LeBron is that he seems to have a very manicured public fi- like public facing right. version of what LeBron is what he's all about in the culture, what he represents. He seems very conscious of it. And as a result, it's like, ah, that dude kind of sucks in some ways. No, exactly. Same with with Taylor Swift. And I've I've thought this for a while now where it's like, yeah, I like some of those songs, but I'm never going to claim to be some Taylor Swift fan because, like you said, she seems too sanitized. It seems too cleaned up. And the thing with LeBron, too, is sometimes, you know what? Actually, he's been a lot better Lately, yeah, with political stuff, like he came out and like oh, yeah. he supported Hillary Clinton, which I, you know, some people would say is you know not the greatest thing if you don't like Hillary Clinton, but at it's least, at least he, it's he, a stance, exactly. It's at least a stance of some kind. Taylor has not done that at all, and that's been a major criticism of her as a prominent female artist. It's like, hey, how about you be a role model for all of your fans out there who you know you could really instigate some change if you were to take a stand on literally anything. So you know who maybe she is more reminiscent of, if we're going to continue with the basketball analogy, is Michael Jordan. Because Jordan was someone who was constantly criticized for not doing anything like True. that. Like, be more white bread than Michael but, Jordan. He was like, sponsored Haynes. But wouldn't get Michael has this whole other side and all these stories of Michael being ultra-competitive and he's, this degenerate gambler oh, and all yeah, that. Yeah. Like, he's still an interesting figure, he's even more, if he's not taking a stand politically or anything. He's more interesting without a doubt. It's basically take the LeBron element of trying to constantly fix your image and the tail, right. and the Michael Jordan uh, element of just not standing behind anything or being interested in any social issues. That also raises the other question of... Like, and this is more of a devil's advocate thing because I, I agree that she comes across badly from this. Is it her responsibility to be a role model? I think that's worth asking. It's like the Randy Moss, uh, yeah. you know, or whoever said Charles that. Barkley. Charles Barkley. Yeah. A lot of basketball and, and yeah. sports. Talk. Yeah, like I'm not a role model. Um, maybe I think she might. It might I be think her she might. To be honest with you, yeah. yes, I, yes. 
I think she does as somebody who has that big of a platform. It's irresponsible not to be. So what about like, like what about, could you make the same argument about like rappers or people who are like artists who are all about sort of like drugs and like <sighs> that's, that's, that's a good argument. They have a uh, platform and what they sing, like the Rolling Stones. Like if you think about what the Rolling Stones did, they're just this, they would sing all about like by Exile on Main Street. It was pretty openly about like doing smack in Paris or in Can, like right. Cannes. Right, the French like, Riviera, yeah. Yeah, and just like getting loaded and, and, and having sex freely with no probably protection. Yeah. It's a lifestyle I, thing. It's hard. It's hard to say, okay, this artist over here, we're not going to hold to that standard, but Taylor, you are... Maybe it's because of how massively huge she is now. And, and she's one person. And she's one person. And we also don't really have an artist outside of Taylor Swift who everybody just knows and understands who she is. Like, there's that... We're missing that monoculture like we had back when the Rolling Stones... Like, Rolling Stones were just one of many massively popular groups... When we only have basically one now, and it's one singular person yeah. who is manicuring her brand so perfectly, I think it starts to be a little bit of a different conversation. It becomes like the Trump discussion where it's like, dude, are you really afraid to piss off neo-Nazis because you're that worried they're in your base? Yeah. Like, if you're for, for Taylor, it's even a, a lower-risk thing. It's like, yeah, you, you don't have to worry that much about doing that. No, if you, upset, you wouldn't think so. If you upset some neo-Nazis, like, who gives a shit? Yeah, that's a good thing. The more it, I think about it, it is actually really weird that you wouldn't just renounce would, that. Yeah. And the other part of this is I feel like she everything she does has an ulterior motive. And what I was thinking about was even just the album release date. She's doing this in November when the music year, as we've always talked about, start, sort of winds down. When What's the official release date again? It's tomorrow, November oh, 10th. Oh, tomorrow, okay. November 10th. Oh, and the other piece of news is she's holding off on putting this on streaming services for a week. So that she can boost album sales. And this goes back to the conversation of ulterior motives. She's holding off a week to boost album sales. Do you think she chose this time of the year because she has like an analytics team who looked at all of the aggregate data of the last 30 years of releases and was like, this is your best opportunity to maximize being number one on the charts for as long as possible. To dominate. This is going to, it's at a time of the year when basically no new albums are coming out that could challenge her. You're getting into the holiday buying season. Yeah, it does feel very clearly It could take you right through January and February, which are relatively slow new release months anyways. She could just be on the number one on the charts for like three, four months straight. That doesn't surprise me or wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, if you think about it, back in the 60s and 70s and stuff, they would, they would, record labels would have bands release for the Christmas season. Right. Like Rubber Soul is an album that, would have probably been released later than it was if it if Christmas weren't coming up. Right. So yeah, that that's probably a consideration, and I'd have no doubt that Taylor has that big of an infrastructure behind. Oh, her. sure, she has a, a huge like a data team behind all of this. You know, dude, like Taylor Swift is is a machine. Yeah, she absolutely. just is. She's a corp, like probably a corporation of her own. In right. A way. Right. She just is big business. And the whole point of this segment, this discussion, is to just say this leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth. All of this, all together. And it makes me really not excited for this album in any way. And it makes me already not like it, even also, though I haven't heard it. Also, even though I like her songs in most cases, I, I this is just in a, in a whole other sense. I'm put off by her 
sort of put on attitude. Yeah, that's the, what I mean. It's fake. The attitude thing she's doing with like the the real Taylor can't come to the phone right now. <laughs> but this goes back to Red. This goes yeah. back to those albums where like she does this stuff. And to me, it's never landed where she does this little talking thing where it's like kind of half a joke and it's kind of half like fuck the haters. <laughs> but it, to me, it always it always lands like a big fat fucking cringe. Yeah, and yeah. I'm always like, like you know what? Just maybe sing your songs. You're like you're not cool. Like you're being that comes across so lame, and you are like you're so white, Taylor. <laughs> Like, take it from someone else who, like, just he, he, drop this act of, yeah. like, you're this hip. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, it's always frustrating. I thought we were done with the holding off on streaming services thing because that hasn't really been a thing in 2017. A little bit of a Drake move with views, right? That happened last year. Right, last it happened, year. It's last happened year. the last couple years. Frank did it. Drake did it. Yep. People have done it. It seems to have fallen off this year, though, because I think most artists realize, like, oh, that's just where my fans are. Yep. And I'm going to meet them there. And they realize the power of streaming. See, but like a Taylor Swift fan is anyone. And that's the thing is like that she it's interesting because and I think we've discussed this before, but there's two parts of the argument where it's like on the one hand, you could make the argument, and I bet she would, that it's like this is about artist empowerment. It's about like I deserve my money. I deserve yeah. to make it however I want. The on the other hand, it's actually crippling in some ways to the music industry because she just has the power to do that. Right. She has the ability to do that because she's Taylor Swift. And no matter what she does, people are going to go to Target and buy her fucking album. 100%. Versus if you're Pine Grove or an, or an artist who is making just barely scraping by, that's not even... It doesn't enter the conversation for no, you. No, you do whatever you can to make a buck. Yeah, it's not, it's not even a consideration. So I feel like there's some flawed logic around the like... You know, she. I think Taylor. I bet if you were to ask her, she thinks the whole streaming services thing. She's like, "Well, I'm not getting everything I could," and it's like, I, in some ways, I can't blame her. But on the other hand, part of that discussion is, well, think about what this means for like other artists. Like, not everyone has right. that luxury. And right. I feel like she has to appreciate that in some ways. I don't know that she can. No. I think she's so in her ivory tower that she can't. And she's gonna get hers though. Oh, 100. percent She's the definition of art as commerce. And I think there there's interesting parallels that you can start to make about big budget Hollywood movies and things like Stranger Things as blurring the line between art and and commerce and a product. Yeah. She is so firmly in the I'm a product camp. It really yeah. kind of turns me off to this whole thing. Turns me off a little bit too. It, it does help her that I end up liking a lot of the songs on every sure. album. I sure. just the bottom um, line. Yeah. I do. There's going to be the bangers on there you want to listen to. Yeah, but yeah. at the same time yeah, there, there's something, and again, this isn't like us being ooh hipster like. No, I, I will be the first to admit there's lots of Taylor Swift songs I like and will listen to. I'm but, not that guy who's like fuck Taylor Swift. Yeah, and I'm not even that anti selling out because I right. think like at the end of the day, people got to get theirs. But there's something inherently gross about the commodification it's too much. of art. It's too much in that way. Yes, come on. Like come it, on. It, it's a little repulsive. It is if you think for ten like a couple minutes about it. But yeah, man, I don't know, like the. Yeah, Taylor Swift is. Uh, she's. She's. It's almost. She's so uninteresting that it is. It's because, interesting. Yeah, I know. We just and, talked for like fifteen minutes about her, and that's the. That's what, yeah. where you say it's the thing that launches a thousand think pieces. Exactly. Because people in the vacuum exactly. of information, people make up their own stories. That's right. That's so. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, so speaking of streaming services, Jake, let's get into our main conversation here. We're doing a, yeah. a, a think piece conversation. 
these are quickly becoming some of my favorite things that we do because we kind of step away from you know the new music talk the new album release talk and we get into more of a larger almost cultural conversation around music and how we listen to it and the way we think about it so I wanted to talk about streaming because this has become the main way that we all listen and interact with music at this point. Basically, we have every song, album, artist ever on demand at our fingertips at all times. As long as you have a, a device to stream it through and some speakers or headphones, you can listen to basically anything you want. And 10 bucks a month. And exactly. then there's literally no limitations. Exactly. Except for there are some but very few artists who aren't on there. Right. And what this has done to us as a music listening culture or people, if you will, is it's changed the way we listen to music a lot. I think for the better, in a lot of ways for the better. Just the, net, on net. On net for the better. Easy accessibility to music, the ability to discover new artists with limited financial impact if you don't like it, the ability to share, find new things, listen to new bands and artists that you never would have been able to find otherwise, the ability to kind of take your music with you literally anywhere, you know, traveling, exercising, working, whatever you're doing, you can kind of have it with you. In all of those ways, it's really, really great. You know what's really interesting, man, is that I just had this thought, is that this feels so much like the norm now. Right. But it really hasn't been that long. I was So I remember being in college in like 2012, 2013, and I knew Spotify was out there, but it didn't seem like a viable thing yet. And I was like, I know it's there, but I'm not gonna like mess with the premium thing, and I, I'll use it once in a while. And I ended up, I still had an iPod with songs I bought and yep. like albums I purchased and then put on my iPod yep. that I would go around with, and I just was limited to those songs. The idea of that is actually crazy now. It is insane. It's amazing how fast that transition happened. And I remember when I got in, it was summer of 2013. I had just gotten out of school, and I remember really making that switch between I fuck with Spotify a little bit, but I still am like downloading music and putting it onto my phone and really having like the physical music files on my phone. And then it flipped, and I was just like, nope, I'm all, all in. On Spotify, and this is all I'm using. Really, really think about that for a second, man. That is—it's actually amazing what we're able to do with music. It, it blows—it blows my mind. With, with we take it for granted, eliminating an infinitesimal. There's a ten cent word for you there, Sean. Mm -hmm. A percentage of artists, like you can just listen to anyone, yeah. anytime on demand, and like it, it's crazy to think that it was literally just a few years ago that seemed. Out of the, the just completely crazy, and it feels especially like over the last two years, it's become just the norm. And do you remember, how, like, I remember buying, I think late in high school, it might have been like part of a graduation gift or a Christmas gift or something. I got a, I think it was a eighty gig iPod video, yeah. and I was like, this is an investment in the future because I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is gonna be my database. I was like, I'm gonna have everything on here. Like, a good thing I got all this memory because I'm gonna use this for years. I, that thing is probably in a landfill right now. <laughs> like, I couldn't tell you yeah. where that is. Yeah. That's and, not that long ago. This gets into the conversation about, yes, there's all these great things about it, and it's amazing, it's the future, etc. But when you really think about it and break it down, and you bringing up that iPod is a, a great example, we miss out on a lot of stuff by having streaming. And, and I want to get into some of these. The one that always strikes me, Jake is when we were in high school, when we were a little bit younger, and we actually had to go to like Newberry Comics 
or buy an album on iTunes and spend the 10 bucks or borrow a CD from a friend borrow it there was a commitment there to being like okay I have limited resources this is the album I am choosing to spend my money and time with for right now oh yeah I better fucking like it or else this is going to be a sunk cost for me and I'm going to be losing out on something. So what we lose out on now is you can say, all right, there's this new album coming out, an artist I really like. I'm going to check it out. If you don't like it in that first or second listen, if it doesn't grab you in some way, what are the odds that you're going to keep going back to that? Unless you really, really make yourself... It's so easy to just drop it because, hey, I didn't buy it. I don't have the files on my computer or my iPod. I don't have the CD in my car. I can just move on to the next thing. And you miss out on that commitment you had to put in to the album that you spent your $10 on when you were in high school or you spent your time getting in some way. Yeah, and the connection with those albums is always huge. And that, that's what I'm saying is that, you miss out because those connections yeah. develop in the 10th, 15th, 20th listen is when, you, when you're living with it and it's all you're listening to. I listen to a lot of music. I don't have that connection with nearly as many albums that have come out in the last few years than I did in the past when I was just choosing a few that I had to listen to. It was also like there's there's something to be said about the tactile, mm. the physical experience of it. Like I remember in high school when I was starting to make an active effort to get into indie music and I bought Contra by Vampire Weekend on CD. I bought Dear Science by TV on the radio. The idea, the, the excitement of you had to make a trip, you yeah. had to drive somewhere, you had to go into the store. First of all, you had to hope they had it. They, they didn't have to have it. You'd be flipping through the stacks being like, I hope this album's here. Wasn't always there. No. And then you'd get it, you'd pop it in the CD player on your car ride mm-hmm. home. And there was, there was always this this connection. And I think as a result, um, I did forge stronger connections with those albums um, because you would be like, you drive around with it all the time yeah. or you throw it on your iPod and you really listen to it all as much as you can because especially at that age but in that era too for I think anyone it was most of what you had unless you could just buy everything unless you were loaded and could buy just exactly. any album you wanted I, I have a similar story with Humbug by Arctic Monkeys I turned 17 years old I was starting my senior year of high school I got it for my birthday you know a $12 present from my parents and I remember having it in my hands I remember the CD case being different than the jewel cases that yep. that was were the, normally the, there. The paper bifold. It was one of the yeah, it was one of the bifolds. I was like, ooh, this is this is a little bit different. This is feels like a like an indie album because it's got that bifold papery feel. Yep. And I remember putting that into my family computer, uploading it to iTunes, throwing it on my iPod, and then just spinning that C D constantly throughout the fall of two thousand nine and just living with it. And that's not even like an all-time great album. I love that album because of the connection I established with it. Right. And I remember seeing it in my hands. I remember hearing it in my car. I don't get that anymore necessarily with even some of the albums I love that I that I know are probably better than Humbug. Yeah. But I don't have that same connection. Well, there's also something to be said, um, and I think a lot of people have lamented the loss of this element. So it's by it's by no means a... Uh, sort of a novel thought I'm bringing out there, but the experience of going to a record store, buying an album. Yeah. I remember 
in high school when I think we've talked about this before, but a kind of a, a biblical tome for us at the time was the Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums yes. of all time list. So influential and a lot of flaws with that list, by the way. Yeah, Look, looking back now, but it. At the time, it was the be-all, end-all. Yeah, there are flaws, but you know, it was a resource, and it was something that I used, and I ended up loving a lot of albums and artists as a result of it. Um, but back then, I would like kind of be interested in a certain thing, and I'd look on the list, like, where's something related to that that I can get into? I remember sophomore year of high school, I went to Barnes & Noble in Manchester, New Hampshire, at Barnes & Noble, and I bought, I, I went to the counter and I to ring up Kind of Blue by Miles Davis, wow. and the B-52s. <laughs> And this was over like a February vacation from high school, and the dude behind the counter, and this is this really impacted me. He goes, he was like, with this album with Kind of Blue, he's like, turn off all the lights. He's like, and listen to this just in the dark at night. And I did, and I loved it from like literally the first listen because of that. And you don't have that interaction anymore. You can read stuff, but you do. And like, look. This is a corporate experience. Barnes and Noble. I didn't exactly. But go still, to... this guy, he didn't have to say anything no. to you about it. Even though he probably knows the story behind Kind of Blue because he works, he's selling albums at right. Barnes and Noble. He didn't have to say that, and that is absolutely what you miss out on. That it interaction. Is. I remember going to Newberry Comics, getting albums. Like I remember buying um, uh, Sound of Silver by LCD Sound System. Yeah. Like a little too young to totally get what was happening there. But and I remember going up to the counter and checking out and being like, I hope you know this person thinks I'm cool for getting this record or as like proves. a 17 year old. Yeah. And yet another thing that we've missed out on, but I've heard people who lived a generation before us talk about is just how much of a community the record store yeah, was, yes. and how in the know dudes were, yep. and not d- dudes, men and women who worked at record stores. You would look to them as a resource, yeah. like a cooler older brother or something yep. who would just be like, hey, or like, sister. W- or sister. Um, uh, about like what's worth listening to, like what should I actually check out? And I, I like that is something that just doesn't exist except for friends or whatever. And that's kind of what it's turned into. And the, and the other piece of this that I wanted to bring up too is you know, you went to Barnes and Noble and you bought both those albums. Guess who borrowed those from you? Because I didn't go and buy them myself. I did. Yeah. And that was another thing we kind of miss out on. Is you almost, if you wanted to expand your music library, you couldn't buy everything you wanted. You kind of had to connect with a friend and kind of go in on it with them and trade CDs back and forth. Do you remember how many hundreds of albums we just traded back and forth in high school? We'd we'd bring in a few CDs each week. It would be like, here's yours for the week. I'm going to take mine. I'm going to put them on my laptop. And that's all we'd really listen to. And we just discuss back and forth what we thought about them. We just exchange CDs, and that is, and now with the limits and the guardrails off of that, it's not. You can suggest an album. You can be like, "Hey, like, give this Mom Jeans album a spin," but there's no, there's no commitment there. It's no. not. It, it, like I remember, this is not the same thing, but I remember a friend who I worked with once gave me a physical copy of American Psycho and was like, "You got to watch right. this." And I remember I put it off, and then one day he was like, "Hey man, can I have that movie back?" I was like, "Like shit, I I owe it to him to watch this because yeah, I have yeah. to." I, and so I did. I ended up watching it that day because there's something about if someone lets you borrow something, it's like first of all they thought of you, right? Which is no small thing. And second of all, they're like ho- they're really hoping that you'll 
take part in this with them. Exactly. And that human connection piece get, gets a little lost now because you don't have to have that connection. You, streaming can end up being a very solitary, lonely experience. Yeah, it can. I mean, and there's still plenty of ways to come together around Like the music. Friends feed on the side of your Spotify. It's like, but... That's kind of what know, that becomes. Exactly. That's kind of what that becomes. But you... And, like, in some ways, the counter-argument would be you listen to so much more music, it actually facilitates a more discussion. True. And it's better for smaller artists. True. Because yep. anyone can get exposure. Exactly. So that, and, and granted, a lot of this is fueled by nostalgia. Oh, 100%. And... and so another piece of this as well, Jake, is not only just the connection with friends, kind of forcing yourself to live with an album. It's certain types of music or certain types of formats yep. have now all but gone to the wayside. And I'm talking specifically about compilations or mix CDs or soundtrack albums that would kind of encapsulate a lot of different types of music onto one disc. And you could say, ooh, you know, I'm going to pick up that Garden State soundtrack because that has a couple Shin songs I like. It has some Coldplay songs I like. And I'm going to get a good mix of stuff that I know I'm going to enjoy. Yeah. And it's all going to be in one place. Now, you just make a playlist of all the shit that you like. Yeah, it's easier. I, I never had a lot of soundtrack albums, but what I had was I, I would make mixed CDs. Mixed like, CDs were huge, yeah. And I, I would get, I would have mixed CDs from friends. And, I remember, and, and you would... Um, come to love certain parts of the CD and you yeah. kind of skip around you'd go I'm feeling like this today like sometimes it was just a random smatter like I, I got introduced to Death Cab for Cutie through yep. a mix CD all kinds of stuff like that and what ends up happening is so funny you get so used to the sequence of yeah. that CD yeah. when you eventually find that full album and the song that you know from the mix CD stops playing yeah and the next song comes up, you expect the song that was sequenced in the mix CD to start playing, and then there's a disconnect when the next one starts on the on the real album. Yeah, there really is. And it's, in, it, it's a totally different type of experience. And what's interesting about a mix CD, and I still sometimes pop one in, yeah. actually, in the car, because I have some um, from a big friend of the pod, Mary-Kate. I'll throw them in, and it's an interesting experience, because it's like there's something to be said about... You can't have necessarily exactly what you want. Right. But you can kind of like work for it a little bit. Yep. Like I'm going to listen to that Lady Gaga song that's on here. Right. Like that's that captures this mood. I'm going to listen to this other song that she put, like the Ray Charles song that's on here. Yeah. She made some eclectic CDs. <laughs> Big yeah. shout. And, and then the other thing that you kind of miss out on too is greatest hits albums. Yep. So these were a huge, huge entry point. For a lot of older artists where it was like, well, I want to get into David Bowie or I want to get into Black Sabbath, but I don't really know what to start with. Or I like a lot of these songs because I've heard them on the radio and I kind of want all of those in one place. I'm going to just get the greatest hits and that will be my way in. And the greatest hits thing was a big time your parents would have them. Yeah. Like my mom and dad bought greatest hits like fucking what none. <laughs> hey, I think that was a big like the record company was like, wait a minute. We can repackage these old songs just together, and people are going to buy them again. It's just printing money, and buy, it, is, it is, and just buy them in in huge numbers. <laughs> yeah, like the Beatles one was what the biggest selling album of that entire decade. Yes, and of yes. the millennium even. Yes, it is. It's, um, it's, it is. And and yeah, the the interesting thing about greatest hits albums is now there's really no need for. They it. don't have to exist anymore. There's no need for it. And why would you? In fact, when I'm 
on Spotify streaming songs, I will actively look for the album version to stream. Oh, me too. Because I think that's cooler. Yeah, me too. Me it's, too. It, and I realize now, embarrassingly, that's all stat. That's all status. Yeah, stuff yeah. that I'm concerning yeah. myself. Exactly. Or exactly. I'm like, oh, I don't want to stream that from the greatest hits. I'll stream that from, <laughs> like, I won't stream Changes by Bowie off of his compilation. I'll stream right. that off of uh, what's that album called? Uh, Hunky Dory. Yeah, hun- yeah, Hunky yeah. Dory. So I think one of the interesting things to think about is basically once the 2010 started, like greatest hits ceased to exist, and we lose out now on some cool greatest hits albums that we could have gotten. I think about some of these indie bands, Jake. Like Arctic Monkeys is a great example. They would have amazing greatest That'd hits. That'd be such a good greatest hits. Yeah, I'm trying to think of others. White Stripes would be another good one yeah. where it's just like they just missed it. Like we don't need that anymore. Or even Arcade Fire. Like, because with the, the national, great, like. Their greatest hits album just becomes their top 10 on Spotify. That's exactly it. That's it. Or their top 10 on Apple Music or something. But what's interesting is how that differs across streaming services. Yes, that is actually very interesting. Like the Beatles, for example. Across Apple Music, Tidal, and Spotify had actually wildly different top yeah. tens. It speaks to the users who are on there and kind of what they're looking for. Fascinating. It is really interesting. One of the interesting things I liked about Greatest Hits albums, and I'm thinking specifically of one that we've talked about a lot, is Early Days and Latter Days by Led Zeppelin. Yeah. It's always so interesting to see which songs were left off or which were included. You, is, you, do, you lose some of that subjectivity in with the hard numbers of the Spotify top 10. Yeah, well, and there's also the cool thing about like early days and latter days or any greatest hits is that it's a cool jumping off point because you can, mm. I would, I think as is probably clear, was a big time like nerd for the, for the facts and I would read through the booklets that came with CDs. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And that was another thing. Like there was an era where... The information you had was limited to what was there, and we didn't even really grow up in that for that long. But we were a part of that, right. and you would—I would scour these booklets for any information yes. about the band. And with greatest hits, you can be—I would look for when the song came out, like what year, what album, if it was there, and I'd be very interested in yeah. how that all came together. Now on Spotify, it's just sort of all there, right. and you can—you have a good sense for like what their most popular stuff is. You know, who else would be an interesting greatest hits? I actually would be very interested to see what they did with it. The National. So interesting. What would their greatest hits be? You'd have... It would basically be like their concert set list. What do you like better? I think I know what you like better. I'm pretty sure it's what I prefer. A greatest hits that goes in chronological order or does not? Chronological order. No doubt, right? For sure. There are some that don't. That I don't know how they thought that was a good idea to do. I think a lot of those gold collections don't go in chronological order. It's almost like they are creating a track list for a fake album of theirs. Like, if all of their best songs were just on an album, what would be the ideal track list? I find it very frustrating. It's so frustrating. It's 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 confusing, especially the way our brains work. It doesn't doesn't fly. No, I always... And I always wanted to know, like, what's the year this came yeah. out? You know, what's the whole story here? Yep. Kanye West would have an amazing Greatest Hits. Yeah, he would. Taylor Swift would have an amazing Greatest Hits. You know would have a good Greatest Hits is The weekend. Yeah, you're right. Imagine The weekend's Greatest you're Hits. You're right. Because you know what? The best... Drake... Yes. The best greatest hits artists are ones where there's lots of filler throughout all of their careers' albums. Drake and The Weeknd are prime examples. Because you could make the argument for Kanye or The National or some of those other artists that, like, the experience of listening to the full album is so great. Like, remember when Radiohead put out their greatest hits? It just felt wrong. And people were like, no, fuck this. Even the band didn't like it. Yeah. It's one of those things where if you have filler... 
and you can just take out the hits and put them all together, that is the ideal greatest hit. So, yes, Drake and The Weeknd are, are prime examples. I think Drake, I would love a greatest hit. Because with Drake, it's like there are certain songs where it's like, yes, I'm all in. And then there's other points where I'm like, I just can't do this for seven years. As minutes. a huge Drake head, I... Know for a fact there'd be songs that I love by him that wouldn't be that would not make the cut and it would bump me out. Yeah, Yeah, but that goes back to the the interesting thing of like it's kind of it's cool to see what gets left off. Exactly, Lana Del Rey. Yeah, she'd be really good. Greatest hits, great greatest hits. I think Vampire Weekend after another album might be good. They had three albums is not maybe enough. Although you really like, although some artists have made have had greatest hits albums on less than that. <laughs> yeah, true. Like Buffalo Springfield, one of my true. favorites, which I brought up last week. They had three albums. That's, that's true. And I think really there is something too. You got to pick artists who put out decent albums, but there's a lot of filler. Those are the prime. Because honestly. Like a Vampire Weekend, I'm just gonna listen to the records because yeah. they're all they're just consistently good. But as a starting point for some, like that, you could say that about Zeppelin or the Beatles for sure. Yeah, okay, yeah, and I yeah, love yeah, those that's greatest true. hits. That's true. That's true. It's interesting too how you can, for certain artists, just package greatest hits differently. Like they, like Zeppelin had early days, latter days, and then they had Mothership, which had different selections. Right. The Beatles have the Beatles one, and then they have like, they have a the, bunch. Then they have the Blue Album and the Red right, Album. Yeah. They have all these greatest. And then you hits. have Past Masters, and which then... is which is like not a greatest hits, but could, they had so many hits that they actually was. could act as a greatest. Exactly. Hits. That's what makes Past Masters so weird because it's like it's like a rarities and oddities collection meets a greatest hits. Right. Pathmasters is a weird it's collection. It's strange because you go from massive, massive songs like We Can Work It Out and Day Tripper yeah. to, to and Hey Jude to fucking Old Brown Shoe. In, like, in Matchbox. <laughs> yeah. Like some of the worst Beatles songs on Pathmasters 1, like towards the end. And Bad Boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where yeah. Ringo is singing... <laughs> On just the like the worst produced Beatles song of all time. <laughs> that song have, sounds you have terrible. like the Inner Light, which is a really cool song, but like also weird. It, it's a, it's a gem. Yeah, I want to go back before we wrap this conversation up. Back to the record store thing and yep. and what it took basically to track stuff down. You really had to kind of earn it, and earning it and putting the time in to go get an album definitely made you like it and appreciate it more. And I think back over the last few years, I. Don't really go to the record store to buy new albums anymore. If I am going to physically have an album, I usually buy it on Amazon, and it shows up, and it's not the same because I'm like, oh yeah, there it is, and I kind of like put it off to the side. I remember going two years ago to buy Divers by Joanna Newsom. I went to Newberry Comics. I was like, I really hope they have this. They did. I bought it. I put it on, and it just transformed the whole experience. Where I was just like, you went and bought this. You're making a conscious effort to seek this out and to listen to it and spend time with it. And it really changed the way I experienced her as an artist and experienced that album. And then a few weeks later, I went to Bull Moose Records in Portsmouth and I sought out Ease by her. And it was the same experience where I was like, I remember the context around buying that album. I remember having it. I remember putting it on. And it really forges an emotional bond with you and the album that is missing with streaming. Yeah, I have an anecdote about earning it, as you sort of put it, about earning that connection with an album. And this is not as strong a connection as your Joanna Newsom story, but I remember when I first started working for um, the magazine at my uh, at my college, uh, they assigned me like an album review, which I was 
over the moon. Like the idea that right. I could write an album review for this magazine at the time was like a big deal. I was right. really, really excited, and I really didn't want to mess it up. Like I was, I was excited to like do it right. Yep. And I was like, I'm gonna like this. This is gonna be a big launching pad for me. <laughs> um, and now look at you. It kind of was. Yeah. Right. We were basically <laughs> contemporaries with Pitchfork. We as, are. As I boasted on Twitter this week. Um, <laughs> So like we, this is how I discovered Metacritic. But the the mm. editor at the time, or one of the editors, was like, "Yeah, just check out Metacritic and look at the coming soon, and just pick one, for one that will be yeah. out around the time this this issue comes out." And so I was like, "Okay," and I just sort of like I didn't know I knew less then by far than I know about music now. Right. So I was like, "All right, like I'll pick this Deer Tick album, this right. new Deer Tick album. I've never listened to them. They seem kind of interesting, like folk rock, whatever. I'll check it out." I went to Newbury Comics, which has been referenced a few times on this episode, in Manchester, bought it, and that album is much maligned. This The album was Divine Providence, which mm. was their, twenty, I think, early 2012 release, mm-hmm. um, and it got just panned, crushed. Ian Cohen gave it like a 3.1 oh. or something on Pitchfork, um, but I listened to that album a whole bunch like I bought it as a CD I was like I really want to like get this review right yeah and so I, I put it on my my laptop put it on my my iPod and I listened to it a ton ended up actually really liking that album I like a lot of songs there's on some it. really good songs in that album it's actually an enjoyable listen it is. they're going a little too hard for the whole exile and Main Street thing mm-hmm. they're doing it in a way that's really obvious there's a song that like name drops Exile on Main Street, I think. Main Street. <laughs> right. Is the name of the song. Right. All of the, it's a good song. All of the, the lyrics are references to, to the Rolling Stones. Right. Um, but at the time, I was like, this is pretty cool. And, I mean, it, I gave it like a, probably, I think, a three out of five or yeah. three and a half out of yeah. five, which. The old Rolling Stone, three and a half out of five stars. The old Vegas zone. Very, and it was <laughs> yeah. very tempered by other reviews I had seen. Yeah. But I was like, I'm nowhere near prepared to give this a highly negative review. Right, I, right. Because like, once you spend a little bit of time, you're like, hey, not so bad. But that's not like The Bump is a song I still remember on that on that. Clowning album. Around's a really good song. Clowning Around I is actually good. really like that song. Um, Miss K. Miss I K, liked. yeah, and, yeah. And the last hidden track, Mr. Cigarette. Yeah, that's after that's the actual right, album. That's right. Yep. At the time, I really loved this album, and like, I ended up listening to and liking an album in a way that I'm actually realizing is kind of sad. Like, I'll never that will not happen anymore. Right. For every reason. Right. Right. Like, I'm not yeah, going to work for a magazine and write yeah. an album review, and, and that also puts into perspective one of our earliest points about how much it's changed in so little time. That was 2012. That's five years ago. I know. And it's really not that long in the grand scheme of things, and there's just no reason to do it that way anymore. No, no, there's not. It would actually be a lot easier. I remember thinking at the time, I was like, "This is going to be like kind of a challenge." I was like, "I have to make sure I can find it because I'm not going to get like an early release no, of this album no. from an artist." No. So I was like, "Okay, well, I got to buy one that's out, right? Because I can't buy one that's coming out soon. So I got to make sure it's out and that it doesn't come out too far before the magazine comes out." Right. I took things a little seriously. I think that's good. I respect that. Yeah, you you, you liked it. That's I good. Did. And it, it came out. I think the review came out fine. It was one of many I ended up writing. Well, it's an interesting conversation to see how things have changed. I'm definitely nostalgic for the way you and I used to listen to music together in high school and yeah. kind of had that have that experience. 
Like we've said, there's a lot of positives to it now. I don't think that I would trade it necessarily. Oh, no, there's no chance. But there are certain things that I do miss out on. Um, I'd love to hear from the listeners. If you want to tweet at us, at ListenInPod, what are your thoughts on streaming? Do you think it's a a, a dangerous new technology we should be wary of or embrace? And what are some of your memories of buying CDs? I'm very interested in that aspect of it. Yep, me too. So moving on, we have another short think piece segment that I added here. And it really was just because I had a random thought and I was like, I'd like to discuss this. So, Sean, I'm calling this segment Diagnose Jake. <laughs> okay. Because we, we could do this pretty often. <laughs> yeah. I think we could do it for both of us. <laughs> yeah, we could. I need, I think, some sort of your professional opinion okay. on what's happening okay. to me. Okay. Is basically what's happening. So, this, this, I've come to realize that for some reason, unbeknownst to me, I can't understand it, the theme music from the 90s show X-Files makes me really, really feel shit. Like, it, it makes... It, it, it evokes deep emotional... It's resonant to me. It resonates with me on an emotional level. It's... And I'm, I mean, what we should do is probably cue it under this in yeah, the Yeah, because I... I have seen one episode of X-Files ever. Oh, Sean, I've never seen an episode. <laughs> That's what makes this so much fun. I've never watched the X-Files. This is my exposure to it. I'm going to play this because I think the theme song was not included in the pilot episode that I watched this one time. Okay. So I, I don't also, fully know like what this sounds like I can also or what this is all about. Get it off YouTube. I, I, we're going to mute that ad. But... So you're really feeling this. So what happens is when the X... This was driven home for me the other day when I was at home on Instagram and there was some like joke post, but under the music under it was the X-Files music. Okay. And I was like really struck by it. It's this mix of like deep nostalgia. I, I'm going to play it. Okay, let's hear it. Oh, wait. I muted it. Okay. Dude, like... It re- Listen to this thing coming in. It's really the first minute. Listen to this, like... Okay, they're pro- they're sort of... Okay, okay. Like, what's that all about? That's nice. T-Mac yeah. was nice. I can see this. I can see this. So, okay. Like, something about that... You know what it is... I'll give you my theories. Okay. And then I want your professional opinion. Okay. okay. Here's the thing. These are my my, my theories. Because <clears throat> what doesn't make sense is I never watched it. Right. One episode of The Simpsons I liked as a kid has that music in it because it's okay. like an X-Files parody. That's one thing. The other is it sounds very 90s. I very. grew up in the 90s. Yep. Maybe it's like hitting a nostalgia uh, sort of Funny a, bone. a nerve. Yeah. Um, the other thing is the synth sound that... <laughs> like that tone... Yeah feels very familiar. It reminds me of synths I've heard in Nintendo games. I was going to say, it reminds me of Mario in a way, but not... It reminds me very much of Pokemon Snap. Okay, which I never played, played a, that. Which I played as a I kid. I wasn't a fucking nerd. Oh, am, I, wow. am I right, listeners? Oh, I didn't realize. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just never got into Pokemon. Um, but I'm pretty sure there was a synth tone, maybe on the Rainbow Bridge level, <laughs> that had um, a Nerd alert. Sim- wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Very similar tone. So I have two questions for you, Sean. Yeah. Why do you think this is happening to me? Is it a combination of all those reasons? And three, 
Has this anything like this ever happened to you? Okay. One, why is this happening? You, Jake, are more prone to these types of flights of fancy than anybody I know in terms of, like, just feeling shit about stuff that maybe doesn't hit people in in that way. Yeah. So this is par for the course for you. Is it, it's so like, what I'm asking is like, is it almost like there's a, a misfiring of synapses? <laughs> like, does my brain technically work <laughs> wrong? Maybe. Maybe it's being triggered by like, the wrong things. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. The other piece of this is, I agree. Because that, that sound moves me, <laughs> Sean. In more ways than one. <laughs> the, the, those sounds, Jake, are reminiscent of days gone by and of childhood. Because I just heard that for the first time. I was like, huh, this reminds me of being a kid in, like, childhood and childhood video games. I think there's something there with that. Okay. Another theory I have is that there's, th- this is getting really cryptic and probably okay. very specific. Okay. There's something about emotions that I can't explain that then compound on me and become even stronger. For example, like it, it, one thing that happens is like I get nostalgic for stuff that I know I was there for but couldn't understand at the time. Okay, so the idea yeah. that the X-Files was yeah. part of this like 90s culture, oh. but I was too young to get it, but I know it was sort of there. You're definitely onto something there. You're definitely onto something there. Yes. What is that? Why? Why? I, we, you and I have an appreciation for those things, I guess, and we're retroactively like placing ourselves there in some way. Because we, more than anybody, are just we love nostalgia. Yeah. And it's a drug. It is. It is. We like it a little too much. We try and live in it a little too much, and we tr- we do it so much. We try and we walk that tightrope. We try and get that high from shit we shouldn't even be nostalgic for. And I've realized it's not even always stuff I like or care about. Right. Like for example, if I see something referencing comic books or arcade games from the late 80s or early mm. 90s, when I know I was like starting my my life was around, about to start or had yeah. just started and I know I was there but I missed out on it and I don't even care about it, I get this weirdly very strong nostalgia it's for it. It's that. It's you're really trying to tap into that. Because we love that for some reason. But it's like not even active. My brain just does it and I'm like, I'm floored by it. It's strange. Maybe seek therapy. Yeah, I might need medical help. You might. You really might. Maybe my brain needs to be reconfigured. (laughs) Electroshock therapy. Yeah. Get you back to normal. God forbid anyone be different at all. (laughs) Or process feelings differently. So, Jake, this has been a long episode already. It has. Um... I don't know. Do we want to punt on the mailbag questions? Do we want to maybe just do one? Let's do one this week. Okay. Even though, okay, so as a quick precursor, I just want to give a big, big shout on the mailbag to big friends of the pod, Kevin and Josh, the only listeners of the pod who... They, they carried us. The only ones who frankly tried. Wow. Yeah. So... And I, I you know, I, it... it it wasn't a great thing for our self-esteem. I won't say that. <laughs> it could have been worse. Yeah. If no one answered. Yeah, if no so. one responded. So, I mean, if you are out there and actually care, you know. <laughs> Throw us a couple mailbag yeah. questions. Show us a bone. We're just trying Help our, us out. We're just trying our best. Help us out on, on slow content weeks. Let's do, let's do this one from Josh, and we'll save, right, don't you think, yeah, the first yeah, one? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And we'll save some of the others from Kevin and Josh for next week. Let me say, I love this question from you, Josh. I think it should be a new segment yeah. that we add into the show. It's a merry fuck kill. 
And this is a diabolical Mary fuck kill from and, Josh. And Josh knew what he was doing. Oh yeah. A real a real uh, Sophie's choice here. We have the national Father John, I so I don't know what that's referencing. All I know is that that is it's what you say when it's a hard decision. Oh, dude, I, I can't wait to explain it to you now. Oh. You don't know what a Sophie's Choice is? No. Sophie's Choice was a movie starring Meryl Streep set in the Holocaust. Oh, no. What have I done? Okay. People do this all the time. <laughs> it is about Nazi guards at a concentration death camp making her choose between her son or daughter to live. Oh my god. Okay. I'm sorry I so flippantly <laughs> used that phrase. Yeah. Holy shit. I've never seen it. Okay. Uh, is it Meryl Streep or is it Glenn Close? You don't know. I don't know. But fuck. I think it's Meryl Streep. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm not gonna use that term anymore. <laughs> Do you use it like it worked? No, no, no. No, I don't. I don't. You know, so I think we're really faced with the Sophie's <laughs> Choice here. You're casually throwing it around. People are appalled. <laughs> okay. We have a very hard decision to make. It's a merry fuck kill between the National, Father John Misty, and the Beatles. Okay. So, do you want me to go first on this? You go ahead. I think I, ahead. I, I have to marry the Beatles. I have to. Yeah. They, they have given me so much joy. I think they're the best band ever. I think they have the best songs ever, the most talented songwriters ever. I can't never hear them again. Yeah, and I'm, I'll just spoiler this right now and say I'm marrying the Beatles, okay. which no one is surprised okay. by at all. Okay. Because I can't, I can't, I know with the Beatles, I can't just fuck them once. No, no. You're going to, it's always going to be in the back of your head with whoever you settle down with. You're going to be like, that was the best I ever had. Yeah. I'm never going to beat that. Ever. And it's always going to be there and it's going to make your marriage to whatever band or artist you're picking. Which is good. It's great. It's sure. But it's. It's not. It's not the Beatles. No, it's it, not the Beatles. It really, really. You're gonna isn't. be imagining the Beatles every single no time. No pun intended. And you're gonna be like, ah, oh, damn. Remember Revolver? Yeah. And you're just gonna uh, be living in the past. Man. Yeah. Okay. I'm marrying the. You Beatles. You gotta marry too. the Beatles. You, I think so. Now, this next one. It, it, it's not so much who am I fucking. It's who am I killing. So the National or Father John Misty. In this, for a lot of listeners, I think this is easy. By oh, the way, which oh, which, yeah. which gets to the core of why this was diabolical by Josh, because he knows that we like Father John Misty more than a lot of people. Yeah, we do. In in here, I've been thinking about this. I've been ruminating on this all week, Jake. Okay. Since the argument for fucking Father John Misty here is that his brand of songwriting and lyricism and music lends itself so much more to being like, I'm just going all in in this short amount of time, and I'm going to get this little, this different thing, this different experience, this little twist on things, and it's going to be enough. It's like, you know, maybe I don't want that all the time, but when it when it's good, it's good. Yeah, and so this means, does this, are we saying basically this means you can listen to one of these two artists' discographies one time? Pretty much. Or like you get like one last hurrah. hurrah with this, or maybe a week with it. Yeah, it's a fling. Yeah, you, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you that, exactly. You you go on like a trip and don't tell anyone. Exactly, and you get wine at a hotel. And and there's this factor with Father John 
of how cool he is. Yeah. And he's a good-looking guy, too. He is. You know? There, there's all of that to take into account. It's like this... It's sort of like this, like, super cool girl who, like, you know just isn't, you know, not going to be... You, you, It's not right for you, but yep. you're like, I'm going to just get a feel for this and and live with it for a little bit. That might be the fuck in this in this situation, Jake. It might be Father John Misty. I like what you're laying down there. Because he's the last one I would marry. The National would be closer to a Mary. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about this. Is that you but almost... The, do you fuck the National? I don't think you do. Is that, that, I don't think you do. That's the most interesting thing about this. Because by throwing the Beatles into this, I I almost can do nothing with the National except kill them. Because I think you have to. Almost for, for their own benefit. Because I can't hurt them. No, and they're a little too plain to 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 waste on your... Your fuck. Well, you know? they're, they're not just, it's not plain. It's also, you won't be enriched by the national and the, the depth of their catalog in a fling. No, no. You're absolutely to, right. You need to live. Absolutely right. You need it's to a live slow emotional build over time. You know what I feel it, like it, right now? What? I, f- I feel like George Costanza and Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> talking each other into a bad decision. <laughs> yeah. like, we can kill the national. Never happen. <laughs> so, but. The thing is, that's like, more people to kill, though. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried about that. About I'm thinking, about, I'm thinking about like the music. No, it's I, more. It's more songs to oh, no, kill off. No, I know. <laughs> I know. Now, the other thing to take into account with this is if the Beatles don't exist in this situation, you'd be happy living out your days with the National. You wouldn't think twice. You'd be like, "That's a great life." Yeah. I, I, I'd be happy with that. But it's like, well, the Beatles. They're, they're my it girl. You know, I gotta, like, I can't, and you're always gonna be like, you know what, the National, like, yeah, that would have been fine, that would have been just fine, but sorry, I gotta kill them, you have to kill them in this this situation, I think. I think you do, and in some ways it's to spare them. It is from the pain of of a, of a quick because they're not a no they're not in for that the, the national they're not that type of no not that type of person no. Father John though Father John you know the thing about Father John is I don't feel bad because I'm like you know no. what he's just gonna he's he, gonna he's using me too he's gonna Mike yeah he is and like we both are <laughs> and we, yeah. we but both that makes know. it better yeah we yeah. both know it it makes it more exciting yeah and Father John he's just gonna go microdose on LSD and right. he's on to the next town exactly he's on to the next he'll town. be fine he's gonna go back to like his bungalow in New Orleans. Right and like right. just be just totally fine and write an awesome record like write another magnum opus exactly um, so I think that's the yeah I, I think um, the Beatles in here was sort of a foregone conclusion for me and if I were to edit this one to make it harder I would try to find a band that's modern and of the same ilk as one of these two who I like almost as much. Who would that be? Vampire Weekend? No, Arctic Monkeys. That'd be tougher. Than, Arctic Monkeys is a good one. That could be a good one. It, it would have to be someone, yeah, of that brand. Yeah. Frank Ocean would be good for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Frank Ocean would be really, That'd good, be a really for me. good one. I don't know what I would do because I love Bonnie Vare? Bonnie Vare would be a good one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about. This is going to be a fun segment because there's lots. It's, it's, it's really easy to make funny comparisons with. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a fun segment. It is <laughs> going to be a fun segment. It's a fun segment. I hope people it. get this late in the episode to hear it. Because I think that was pretty funny. 
It was funny. Uh, yeah, I think you were firing on all cylinders. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Kevin, we'll get to your. Uh, we have a lot. There's a. We got a lot of good questions from Josh and Kevin. We're just gonna kind of save these and kind of drip them out over time. Yeah, we've got. We actually the episode was longer than we thought, so the yeah. mailbags. Um, we'll use as sort of a well. We'll go back to the well, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, Quick, quick show and tell. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this. Jake and I were able to see that band Hodera we talked about a couple weeks ago. They somehow came to Milford, New Hampshire, about a half hour away from where we live. They played at a coffee shop called Union Coffee. Ended up being a really great experience. I'm really happy we went. There was probably like 15 to 20 people there. That's it. But the people who were there seemed to really like the band and be really into it. Agreed. It was a it was a very good performance. It was an awesome, intimate experience. When I'm in a coffee shop as cool and as hip as mm. that place, I'm always overwhelmed by the hipness to a degree where I almost can't get out of my own head about it. I yeah, <laughs> you know, I know what, what you mean. You know what I'm I, there's a big anxiety thing with me there where I'm just like everyone's looking at me, everyone's staring at me, you're doing the wrong thing, you're ordering wrong, you're standing in the wrong spot, everything about you is wrong here. Yeah, you, well it's it's not only that element, it's also like it's also a part of me that that is trying to pat myself on the back for being cultured in oh, this way. Big time. That's one element. And then there's the other part of my brain that is self-loathing that part of my brain by being like, dude, this isn't that big a deal. Like just chill and yeah, don't right, don't, g- right. don't give yourself so much credit. And then that that sort of war is happening yep. the entire time. And then I'm like, you know what, these people here are really cool. And there's a part of my brain that's like, well, maybe they're not. Maybe like they actually suck. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know what yeah. that says about me. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, again, I think it's something to do with synapses firing <laughs> it wrong. Might, it might be that electroshock could help you and I out. Yeah, right. Now, or, I, just, or, or just like completely lobotomize us. That might be better. They just basically take any, like just make it our lives done. plain. Done. Done you know, so. Like we just won't worry about shit like that. Wouldn't hate it. Wouldn't I, hate I, it. Would I hate you wouldn't know any better. No. I wouldn't hate the opportunity to walk into a store or anywhere and not want to spend die. Spend the rest of the day thinking about everything I saw and experienced. Exactly. In a way that's like that like could make me cry if I was willing to cry. <laughs> if I was hearing the X-Files theme song. <laughs> Don't even mention it. Don't even mention it. I'll cry right the fuck now. But no, this was a cool show all that aside. Yeah. I just am I overanalyze everything, but I didn't. I enjoyed it. Uh, I like a place like that where you can get you can go coffee. You can get like some food, get a get, beer, get a brew. Yeah, and it was a cool, intimate setting. And uh, I think it was Hodero was suited for it. They seemed a little worried about being too loud, which I think they needn't have done. No, I don't think they needed to be. But I always respect the artists who are concerned about that and yeah. are concerned about are we being too loud is it too much it, are we going to drown everything out in this small space I like that they were conscious of it I'm glad they started out a little bit softer eased into it went with some of their harder songs a lot of Hodera heads in Milford New Hampshire Jake they seemed like some cool guys too very yeah. and like, what a different life than what we're leading very different because they were talking about they are like yeah man like we went for a hike today here it's a beautiful town you got here they're like we're going to Massachusetts next so like, we, and if you don't mind throwing a tip in the tip jar like we need money for gas and I was like I was damn like, like that sounds actually really liberating yeah very freeing your life couldn't be any different more different than mine yeah because like except that we both like music that's about where our similarities stop and our white men that too 
from like the greater northeast. Okay, region. all right, Jake. All right, B- both went to school growing up. I'm sure both as well. had both had parents. <laughs> both have eaten food. <laughs> Find any minute thing that could be comparable. Yeah, this was a cool experience. If you get the chance, listeners, to see Hodera. Yeah, or to go to a coffee shop. Yeah, support support your local coffee shops and music scenes. Do you know what I'm talking about? About the experience of a coffee I shop. Won- Thousand percent do. I've never not stepped into a coffee shop and been totally ill at ease. Where it's like I am like, yeah, I love this, but I am constantly lashing out against myself so much that even something that I love and would feel comfortable in, yes. I'm like, no, you can't feel comfortable and shouldn't. A million percent, yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. I think what we have to do... I think I have to let my guard down. Is just go experience that more and just get used to it, and those feelings will go away. I think what it is, I have to be less defensive of myself and just let my guard down and be like, yeah, maybe like meet people and make that, friends. That too. That too. I think mm. we probably both need to do that. We should do also more Diagnose Jake and Sean segments. I agree. I, that's a Two good new segments coming out of this episode. Very good. Important yeah. segments. Finally, recommendation of the week. This probably kind of comes from both of us. This band, Kara Kara... Kara Kara, I don't know how you actually pronounce it. Um, this is a band from Philadelphia. They're kind of um, it's this interesting genre that has come out of like this fourth wave emo stuff, where you could classify it as emo, but they're interspersing lots of different genres and feels and musical influences here. Like again, there's sort of that Hodera thing where there's certain songs that almost have like a country-ish, alt-country thing going, but then there's, like, pure punk rock. I only listened once, but it seemed a little heavier. Yeah, it, it, like it is heavier, but the then there's, side. like, horns and, like, saxophone coming in. So, like, th- I think this is where a lot of interesting rock music is playing right now, is mm-hmm. we're going to kind of take a, the bass of, like, fourth wave emo and intersperse all these different influences. Like, there's a song on here that I think sounds like an emo version of Bonnie Vare. Mm. Uh, that song, Oh Brother, with, like, the, the horns on it. So, Kara uh, Kara, the album's called Summer Megalith. If you're going to listen to one song, check out the song uh, Apotheosis. Really, really good. Uh, I've been really enjoying that song. It is shooting up my favorite songs of the year list. Uh, so, check this out. Put out on our friend Cam's... Uh, Record label, Flower Girl Records. If I'm not mistaken, it, maybe he played saxophone on one of these songs. I'm not sure. I've been meaning to tweet at him and ask, but I'm not totally sure. Is there an album that Cam has not played saxophone on? It feels like that's just I, that's I, on I, every album. I know. Now. He's I know. just on every album. I want to ask him sax. about that. But either way, check this album out. It's really, really good. I, I've been enjoying it a lot. Speaking of new albums, really quick release radar. We already talked about Taylor Swift, Reputation. Um, Greta Van Fleet, the Led Zeppelin sound-alikes that we talked yeah. so much about. We get some um, new songs from them. We get some new songs. I guess it's a double EP called From the Fires. Angel Olsen with an outtakes collection called Phases. And then a uh, big shout from me to Tim Heidecker, member of the Tim and Eric comedy duo, um, dropping an album called Too Dumb for Suicide, Tim Heidecker's Trump Songs. These are all songs about Trump, and th- one of the highlights on it is a song called Trump's Private Pilot. Which there's the Tim Heidecker version on there and Father John Misty's cover of yeah, it. Yeah, I listened to that. And the song is actually really funny. The whole yeah. premise of it is just this guy is the pilot for, he flies Trump's plane and he's going to just take one for the country and, <laughs> and bring the plane down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting listen. Tim Heidecker is, 
getting way more into music. Like, released a serious album last year. Right, right. That I actually liked. Yeah. It was kind of like Randy Newman-esque. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. interesting. Yeah, so kind of a dead week. Honestly, like, I'm not going to listen to that Taylor Swift album until it hits streaming services. No, and I, like, no. don't give a shit. So we probably really won't have much T-Swift conversation next week. Maybe a little bit more of just rehashing what a weird product she is instead of a person. But, yeah. I agree. And, yeah. yeah that's... That's that, man. That's pretty much it. All right. We'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks, y'all. You said you had a pre-show question or story? Oh, I have a story. Okay. Um, So, this week at work, we get our email about, um, for insurance, open enrollment. Open enrollment. Starting this week, goes till the 20th. I know that come July, I will be 26. Right. Which means that... I can no longer be under my parents' medical insurance. I have my own dental, but my mom's just like, stay on our right. medical. You won't have to pay, and it's fine. Just right. do it till you're 26. So I do. So I get the email from HR. It's a listserv email mm-hmm. that goes to everyone in the organization. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I should probably like ask them like what I have to do when that time I comes. I think I see where this is going. Yeah. It's not totally my fault. So I write back... As I want it to be a response to the email, so I know, like, so they know, like, what it's yeah. pertaining to. Yeah. So I can have that info down there. Yeah. You know, what I, you know why sometimes how you do a reply with the like. Oh yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know yeah. What I'm yep, about. yep, yep. And I include our HR email in the to field. Yep. I kept the list in. I was like, the worst case, that just won't send it. It won't send to that. Right. Which is what happened. Right. So the email gets sent out. A couple minutes later, I get an email back, and it's like from the list serve. Which, for anyone who doesn't know, is basically just a way in which people can email large groups of people without having to type all their names into the to field in the email. You just pick this listserv and it sends to everyone. So um, I respond to this email with the HR um, questions email that that, uh, my organization has. Send it. and I get a response back that's like, oh, you, like this didn't post because it's a do not reply, so it didn't go to anyone. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, that's not a problem then. Whatever. So it's like, oh, maybe that didn't send, so I better send it again, but just to the other one. So I send a quick email back to just the HR for you mm-hmm. email address. I'm like, hey, just so you know, like I, I just copied and pasted mm-hmm. the message, and on top I wrote like sending again because I'm not sure if the previous one sent. I think yep. there was an error with the message. So... The next, I don't think about my email for the rest of the night. Yeah. That's the last thing I do before I leave work that day. Um, The next morning, I wake up to six emails from people throughout the organization. Yeah. Some of whom I know, some of whom I don't, that are like, yeah, I think this message was meant for you. And I'm I'm like, what is this about? Like, I just (laughs) keep seeing from everyone, like, I think this was for you, Jake. And someone, you know, like... Returning this email as it looks like it was for Jake, not for me. <laughs> like, huh? And I look down, and it's it's the HR person writing back, like, "Please assist. I'm attaching you. I'm I'm tagging, or I'm like sending this request to like whoever in HR, or yeah. the benefits person." Yeah. 
and I look down and under all these emails from people is an email from an HR representative who's like responded to your email with the list serve on it, didn't realize that you had sent another one with with only the uh, HR email. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My email with my it would, it would luckily there was nothing especially revealing personally. Yeah. There. My email went to for at least a few hours every <laughs> single person <laughs> in the organization. Everyone at one point had access. Luckily uh, with a, with a list serve email thing you can retract it. So eventually yeah. it wasn't in people's inboxes, but once they opened it it was right, done. right. And one person who I didn't know even responded, and they were like, yeah, like this wasn't for me. I think it was for you. Happy early birthday. <laughs> because in the email, I was like, yeah, I turned 26 in July. I just wanted to like check in about this, like see what I have to do when that time comes. And yeah. So How about these people going out of their way to not only read the email... Well, and that's, that, that doesn't pertain to them, but then like follow up with you. The second I see I don't need to pay attention, I'm deleting that shit, and I just don't care. And just for reference for people out there, my work, it, like I have a small team at work, but I work at a university, so it's thousands of employees. Yeah. Thousands. I work with yeah. so many people. Like a lot of our friends probably got that email. Yeah, and like everyone on my team at one point had it, and some of them wow. just didn't check in time for it to be retracted, but some of them were like, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Which is like, and the thing is about that, it's like nothing in it was revealing, but it could have been. It could, oh yeah, that's what you sure. HR about. Sure, yeah. And it's like, like luckily, all I said was that was I was like, yeah, I'm turning 26. I'm still on my parents' insurance. That's the most embarrassing right. thing about it. Right, right. But even that, I'm like, that's still just normal. So no one cares. The most embarrassing thing about it is that it feels like I made a mistake. Right. But then I was talking to people, and they were like, no, they should have taken that out. Yeah. Like, they have to look for that. Yeah, yeah. That's the old reply all. Got to watch out. Because they're in fucking HR. That's right. And when I do it, it, the thing has a security thing in place so that it doesn't reply to everyone. Exactly, yeah. When they do it. Because they, they have the access. They have the yeah. access. They're able to respond. Wow. Yeah, so got to watch out for that HR. I hope I didn't get this person fired. Uh, they deserve it. If, know, if they did, they deserve it. It's like, dude, but that's if they just, fuck this up, they fuck something else up. And by deserve it, no, they don't deserve it. No, that's no, terrible. How does anyone deserve anything? No, that's terrible. And it's like also, like, I could have just saved. Like, it, it makes me feel bad because it's like if I just didn't do that and I thought hard about just not doing it and was too lazy to take it out. Yeah, well, I mean, like when in doubt, just take it out. Yeah, but I was like, yeah, this won't matter. It's not going to reply to everyone. I was like, this is probably just something that won't receive it. Yeah. But I was like, I didn't know really what it was. And so I was like, maybe this HR communications email is like a specific email right. for the people who sent this. Right. So I was like, may, like, maybe I should respond to them. I was like, but more realistically, I should send it to the general HR mail. Right. So yeah, it, so there was like a few hour period where everyone saw an email from well, me. Well, again, like you said, luckily it wasn't anything yep. incriminating. It wasn't me like, here's a list of grievances against my coworkers. <laughs> right, right. Could you imagine that shit? That'd be, yeah, that'd be bad. Um, in worse news, Jake, I don't know if you saw, these Louis C.K. allegations are true. Did you read that New York Times piece today? No. Oh, like five women like went into detail about like all the shit that he's done. And it's basically like it just confirms everything that was out there before. But yeah, that's all true. Okay. So read, read that New York Times piece. Um. Yeah, all, all these Fuck. abusers and assaulters, and they're getting their comeuppance. So he's done. It's a new day. He's done now. Probably, yeah. 
Probably. Yeah. Well, yep. Like, fuck him for doing that. Yeah, like, you can't do that shit. No. I don't care, like, what kind of genius TV auteur you are. Like, what are you doing, man? That sucks, dude, because he was, like... Well, no, it sucks for the people who he did that shit to. Yes. That's the bottom line. Yes, and I, I was reading an interesting response, or, or skimming it at least, where they were saying it's not the right time to be discussing what the impact on his art is or like what this means for his art right now he's like how did i just miss this news i don't know it was, it was like all over the place this afternoon i wonder if it'll be in the daily tomorrow from like three o'clock on i'm just roughly. gonna check quickly if it's like trending on twitter oh i'm sure it is it was yeah it was like everywhere yeah it sucks it, you know what maybe it says something bad about me that my first reaction is like fuck like i really like louis and i i it sucks that i won't get to like ever see or like think about him the same way that's really yeah. selfish yeah, that's really selfish, yeah. but it's true. A little bit, yeah. It, it, yeah. But, uh, but I, but I think a lot of people are having that same reaction. I'm not gonna like fucking deny that I have that thought, even if it's ugly. Right. Part of me is like, like I, I wish this happened to someone who I cared less about. <laughs> right. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, yeah, I do. Like, that's a gross human. I, I do, and I think, like I said, a lot of people are having oh. that reaction. Yeah, it's the first thing. Yeah, fans, comedians react to New York Times story on Louis C.K.'s sexual misconduct. Yeah. On Thursday, New York Times released a report in which five women accused the comedian of sexually harassing them. And they came out, like, names and all. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specific instances, names, details, all sorts. And so far, it's been denied from him. No comment, nothing. Canceled his movie premiere. Really? At, like, yeah, like the New York premiere or something of it. And canceled his appearance on Colbert. Um, we'll see what this means for like the wider release of that movie. Um, yeah. So, because like Kevin Spacey's being just like White. erased from history, basically. He is. Yeah. Um, did you see that they changed the House of Carbs? Yeah, I did. I noticed that this morning. For anyone who doesn't know that, it, the Ringer Podcast Network has a podcast called House of Carbs, which is a pun on House of Cards, Kevin Spacey's show, and the the image is the host. Sitting like Kevin Spacey and on the like sort of the art for House of Cards, and they completely got rid of that. Yeah, yeah, Kevin yeah. Spacey shit was messed up, man. And it's like, dude, this is just this. It's now every day. Oh, I know. Which I I think is a good thing. Yeah, because it is allowing people who felt like they couldn't say anything before be like, oh, I'm this is okay now. And I think this is going to end up changing people's behavior. Yeah, I, you hope so, and it sucks that it takes that. I oh, I know, I know. It people sucks. are terrible to each other. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is like I almost wonder as these types of allegations mount over the next few months or whatever, will the number will like the, the saturation of that almost make it less meaningful eventually. Like, if it's just every day, someone else, someone else, someone else. Is it at a certain point people are just like, fuck, like, this is really prevalent? No, I think it, it makes it even more so because it's like, all right, well, we really need to, like, look at ourselves and, I mean, and, our, people, and our systems. I, yeah, no, what I mean more is, like, like the gun violence thing. Oh, oh, right, 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 You know, right, you right, hear right. about a shooting right. seemingly every week now. Well... And you're like, that's horrible. I like obviously wish that wouldn't happen, and I hope they do something about guns, but they fucking won't. I think it's a little bit different, though, because yeah. that... I think everybody knows this stuff goes on, and it's an unspoken thing. It's not like 
the only time we're seeing it yeah. is when it's actually happening. Everyone knows this happens, yeah. but there's just a stigma or a taboo around it, and there's there's things that like people feel like they can't talk about. I think this is only... Well, it, it sucks for the people who it's happened to. I think it's only a good thing for victims in the future who now won't feel like they have to be silenced about it. They feel like they can have a platform and speak and will be heard and will be believed. Yeah. And the people who are doing it won't be just shrouded in like, you know, safety of I'm a big name in Hollywood and I can like yeah. affect your career. It's I like, th- no, now your career is going to be the one that's affected. I like that's a good, that's a good flip. I think what I mean more is that I'm less and less shocked with each one of these. Personally, in terms of right. like, of like, I'm oh, well, like I'm really shocked but this happened. Le- it's like I'm actually, I'm not saying it's any better that they did it. I'm not saying I'm, not, I'm not making an excuse for them. I'm saying that like personally, as a member of just the public, when I see like X, Y, and Z male actor did this, I'm yeah. like, oh, like of course he fucking. Oh, did. I think that too. Yeah. I think that too. The one that surprised me the most was honestly the Kevin Spacey one. That's crazy. Um, well, because it was like also it was like two pronged. It was like yes, I'm a sexual abuser, and like also I'm gay. Which was fucked that he oh like hid behind that basically. He tried, to, but he tried to. He tried. Oh no, like, yeah, yeah. It's fucked shield up. Shield himself. Yeah, like that. and people called him on it immediately. It's like no, dude, like you like what molested a 14 year old boy. Or like, or sexually harassed. Yeah, and he's I guess he's just done that to a bunch of other people on set and everything. Yeah. But what I was gonna say was I think now people like Kevin Spacey or the Harvey Weinstein's of the world or Louis C.K.'s of the Louis C.K.'s of the world. We gotta now include that. Will now think twice about doing any of that stuff because. Not because it's they think it's wrong, but because they think they're going to be publicly shamed and their career will be affected. Yeah. Like, that's honestly what it takes for some of these people. Because they don't see it as, oh, this is wrong. And it's sad because, like, that doesn't fix the root problem. No, but it's a step. No, no, it's I, a no, step. I understand. Which I, is, like, the that. best we can do right now, which is fucked up that in 2017, like, we have to just be taking this step now. It's you like, know? dude, was it was it more stories about him basically like masturbating and that's of women? that's what it was. That's all. Yeah, all of it was that. It's like, dude, what it was like wa- making people watch him jerk off. Like, what are you fucking thinking, dude? Uh, what? Like, why? What? What? Why do you think that's okay? Because you're not like physically touching them. That like it's it's somehow better. Or I I don't I don't know. Fuck him, man. That that really really sucks. That like that's a shitty shitty thing to do. And to be honest, I it, it bothered me ever since I first heard the first rumor. And it colored the way I looked at him, and mm. I just wasn't willing to admit it. Yeah. I think that's how it goes with a lot of these people. Because I was like, I hope, like, I just held on hope. And I think a lot of people do when it's someone they personally really sure. like. I held on hope that, like, these were just rumors. Yeah. And, like, but why would that be just a rumor? Right. Why would someone just make that rumor? Right. Right. I know. I know. It's... It's interesting. It goes back to that conversation that we had way earlier in the year about like the power bottom thing mm. and how we were a little bit surprised at the swiftness of how they were the removed from streaming services and tours canceled, removed from labels, etc. We said we're like, "Well, it makes sense. Like this scene is one that had like zero tolerance for that." And like they were a band who kind of built their reputation on safe spaces and things like that. It's interesting to see Hollywood, which has always been this place of, like, that kind of just happens. It's an unspoken thing. 
kind of do the same thing. Well, it's like, I, I think it was Bill Burr who made a good point on his podcast this week where he was like, people are acting like it's just, and I agree that it's an unspoken thing in Hollywood and a lot of it has to do with like your career and stuff like that. But he was making the point, he's like, that, that's just people. He's like, yeah, there's, exactly. a, there's a percentage of shitty guys. Yeah. And people in general, but yeah. like I think predominantly men who will do this shit to other right. people. Yeah. Right. Right. Sad. That's it's a, sad. That's a fucking cheery note. I didn't see that. But you know what? To be honest with you, dude, I saw that coming for a long yeah. time. It was only we, a We knew it was only a matter of time before that was, like, confirmed. Yeah. Yeah. It was only yeah, a matter of, of course. time. Of course. Well, you know, there's not, not a whole <laughs> lot else to say about that. No. That kind of shit is unfortunate for really the victims so one one thing that I am thinking of here is the the um, Woody Allen comparison with all of this. Why does that guy get let off the hook? What's the deal with that? Because the big reveal happened when he was it was the nineties. I don't know. Nineteen ninety two is when that came out, right? Yeah, or sometime around then. And I've had a lot of people be like, "Well, you got to separate." You know the art from the artist, and you know he, he's a complex guy. It's like, well, what the fuck? Like, you can't. I don't understand how you can make that argument. I I also don't know if I fully fully understand what he did. I don't either, to be perfectly honest. And like, I think what it is is he like married his stepdaughter. Okay. Or was like banging his stepdaughter. Okay. Okay. But I what I've always been unclear on what was whether or not that was consensual. Or, like, what the ages were. I think the fucked up part of it, and I could be completely messing this up, was that I think he, like, helped raise her. Oh. That's weird. And then was, like, was pro- like I think he was just like, well, like, I'm not really related to you. And, like, <sighs> guess what? Like, I'm attracted. I think, but, like... Is that sort of what this Louis movie is about? It's, like, it's ex- almost exactly what it's about. Although, I know it's inspired by that. It's also... I think what it's about is, like, this dad... Kind of whores his daughter out in a way. Yeah, that's what it, it, the relationship isn't with his daughter. No, his daughter is having a relationship with a very much older like movie producer. And to be honest with you, the notion of what that was about and knowing that these allegations were flying around about him kind of colored me against the movie from the start. Are you gonna go see this? Probably not anymore. Are you? I don't know. I. I it kind of weirds me out, man. Like, I probably not anymore. Yeah. I was really excited to potentially go see it, but I, I, it, it, I mean, he's a like, really creepy guy, evidently. I kind of want to go see it to, like, knowing this now, being like, were you, are you, like, trying to let people know that you're some deviant, like, with this movie? Yeah. Maybe you know? He's admitting it winkingly or something. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. The world's messed up, man, and like people, it is. Is like there are no fucking like heroes. In the <laughs> no, world. no, there's not. There's not. John Lennon beat his wife, and Louis C.K. masturbated in front of women in like back rooms. Yeah, non consensually. So like, why? Like, why should I even like anyone? True. What's the fucking point? True. Because there's everyone's like probably a monster. Pretty much. Pretty much. You ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. Let's dive in. Let's do it. You got your uh, 1997 shit ready? Uh, yeah. Hold that up. <clears throat> okay. Hold on. Let me just quickly... 
Okay, okay. Cool. Good. All right, ready? Three, two, one.